Hello, friends. Welcome to Resting Church Face, a podcast. I am your host, Amanda Allen, and this is our first book club conversation episode. Our first book club pick was Romantic Comedy by Curtis Sittenfeld, and we're going to talk about it. So sit back, relax, channel your inner Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks, and let's get started. Okay, so Romantic Comedy by Curtis Sittenfeld is the first book that I chose for our Resting Church Face book club. And I chose it for a couple of different reasons. One, I'm a member of Book of the Month Club. If you're not aware of what that is, I've been a member for several years. I think my subscription is about $15.99 a month. It's an online app. Um, You can do it on uh, your phone or you can do it on the computer. But you get a choice of I think it's five or six new release books every month. And for the price of the subscription each month, you get a brand new hardcover book mailed to you. And so this was one of the selections that they had up for grabs. And most of the time, I, as you know, if you've listened to any of the book um, podcast episodes that we've done, I tend to gravitate towards mysteries and thrillers. But this time, the premise of this book really intrigued me. And so I'm just going to read the inside jacket insert description for the book um, because I think that summarizes the plot way better than I will. (laughs) Sally Mills is a sketch writer for The Night Owls, a late night live comedy show that airs every Saturday. With a couple of heartbreaks under her belt, she's long abandoned the search for love, settling instead for the occasional hookup, career success, and a close relationship with her stepfather to round out a satisfying life. But when Sally's friend and fellow writer Danny Horst begins dating Annabelle, a glamorous actress who guest hosted the show, he joins the not-so-exclusive group of talented but average-looking and even dorky men at the show and in society at large who've gotten romantically involved with incredibly beautiful and accomplished women. Sally channels her annoyance into a sketch called The Danny Horst Rule, poking fun at this phenomenon while underscoring how unlikely it is that the reverse would ever happen for a woman. Enter Noah Brewster, a pop music sensation with a reputation for dating models, who signed on as both host and musical guest for this week's show. Dazzled by his charms, Sally hits it off with Noah instantly, and as they collaborate on one sketch after another, she begins to wonder if there might actually be sparks flying. But this isn't a romantic comedy, it's real life. And in real life, someone like him would never date someone like her, right? Okay, so that is the description of the plot. So after I read the book, I sent out some discussion questions to everyone who signed up for the book club. And thank you so much for those of you that sent the questions back. And for my friend Andrea, who sent a voice recording, you're going to hear her. Um, But before we get into all of those questions and all of the discussion points for the book, I want to talk about a few of the things that I have learned about starting a book club. One, it is probably smart to read the book before you recommend it for a book club. (laughs) So, I mean, I was kind of caught up in the whole idea of a book club being like we all read the book together and decide, which I do like that idea, but I was a little surprised by, let's just say, the adult themes of the book. Now, I didn't hate all of that, but it's it's one of those books that I don't know that I'd want to recommend to everybody (laughs) because it is a very certain kind of uh, of a book. It's very adult. Um, it's adult romance. And there's there was a lot of bad language. There's a lot of racy scenes, which we will talk about. But I probably would have been a little more discerning and maybe not chosen this, especially as our first book club pick. 
or if I had chosen it, because again, I really did enjoy this book. And I think that most of the people that I've heard back from did enjoy it. Um, I would give out a warning (laughs) before I, um, just blindly recommended a book. So that's the first thing that I learned from this experience. And then the second thing that I have figured out is that we need to have a book club newsletter. I sent most of the questions via Instagram and Facebook because I didn't really have anybody's email addresses. I just had your Instagram handles. And so if you are part of the book club and you are listening to this, I will be contacting you probably on Instagram to see if you will give me your email addresses or if you'd like to sign up for the newsletter because I just think that will be an easier way for us to communicate. And then you can just respond to the newsletter emails. Um, I'll give you a way to get the questions back, all of that good stuff. So you you won't miss all of the questions and it won't be so annoying for me to have to, you know, bombard you with like a lot of DMs because I felt like I was just blowing people's uh, Instagram inboxes up. So I will be getting that newsletter information out to you really quickly. And then lastly, at the end of this episode, I will announce our second book club pick. And I'm really, really excited about this one because this is one that I feel like the whole family can do together. And again, we'll be talking about that at the end of this episode. Okay, let's talk about romantic comedy. One of the biggest plot points in romantic comedy is that Sally, the main character, is a writer for the Night Owls, which is, we can all tell loosely, not even loosely, is very heavily based on Saturday Night Live. And I read some interviews with Curtis Sittenfeld, and she talked about how she really researched the the behind-the-scenes workings of how Saturday Night Live is produced, how they write the sketches, how they vet the sketches, how they choose the guests, um, all of that stuff. And I thought that was really super interesting. Um, I've always wondered what it would be like to to have to turn around that fast. I mean, they're writing these sketches. Sometimes they're changing things the night of the performance or they'll do it for a rehearsal and then cut things and change things. And for me, the thought of that is so terrifying. <laughs> like, I can't imagine, you know, it's hard enough to learn lines for something that you've rehearsed over and over for months. I can't imagine having to turn on a dime and just be like, oh, I can do that. I can change that. And, you know, you really get to see how, probably stressful and nerve-wracking it is to be a host on a Saturday Night Live show because these are not actors. And so you're throwing somebody who, you know, sings or, you know, they act, but they don't do it that way. They're not really improv into an arena that they're not maybe completely comfortable with. And so I felt like that was really well done. The other thing that I found really well written was that the jokes that she was making as a writer at Saturday Night Live and the other, you know, inside things were actually funny. Sometimes I will read a book that someone has written and they're trying to be funny and it's not. It's just cheesy. You wouldn't laugh at it in real life. But the jokes that she made in this book and the sketches that she talked about, like even the, the Danny Horst rule in particular, I could totally see that being something on Saturday Night Live. It sounded, it read like something that they would have put on their show. I also think that the book did a great job of showing how easy it is to have very close bonds with people that you work with when you see them that much because they are around each other constantly. You know, they have such late nights. Like part of me was reading this and, you know, I guess 
maybe it's because of the age I am now, but I was like, how are these people staying out till three in the morning after they have done a show? I mean, I guess you have that adrenaline going and so it kind of carries you into the night, but I would be so exhausted. And I mean, I think that it shows too that like how tiring it is and stressful and, you know, how much brain power and exertion it takes to keep up with that kind of a lifestyle. And, you know, when, when you start the story, you can feel how tired Sally is. She's already tired and she's already thinking that maybe this is a, a bit too much. Like she's, she's starting to burn out a little bit. And I like that they kind of set her up in that way. I also feel like Sally's character as a writer, she's a little cynical and, you know, it's very, you know, as we, when we talk about Noah, you know, Noah is not a cynical person, but she is, but she's not an unlikable cynical, but you can see why she is that way. You know, she's, she's worked at this place for a long time and, you know, she sees all the worst and all the best of people. And so she expects things to go badly sometimes, but she's always pleasantly surprised if it doesn't happen. But I felt like as a well-rounded character, I felt like she really was someone that you actually are rooting for from the beginning. I think one of the most fun things about reading this book was trying to figure out who are the real life people that some of these characters were based on? And of course, the first one is who is Danny Horst? So he's kind of the, the person that starts all of the stuff. He's the catalyst for really the whole plot, right? And we'll talk about the Danny Horst rule in just a moment. But who is Danny Horst based on? And I asked this question to everybody in the book club and I got some different answers back. But the majority of you seem to think that he is either based on Pete Davidson or Colin Jost. And I completely agree. And I think he's probably a combination of these two guys. So of course, Pete Davidson is somebody that used to be on Saturday Night Live. He was really funny, but he was just kind of normal looking, but he dated so many famous women. I mean, he's been linked with Ariana Grande and Kate Beckinsale, and most recently, Kim Kardashian. And so, you know, he's kind of gotten this reputation as being a very normal looking person who manages to date a lot of beautiful women celebrities. And then there's Colin Jost, who is also a writer for Saturday Night Live and has, you know, appeared in a few sketches, but he recently did get married to Scarlett Johansson. So I think he kind of fits that prototype as well. And again, neither of these guys are unattractive. They're just not your swashbuckling, dashing, romantic hero leads you know, that you're used to seeing with these beautiful women. Okay. And then the next one was who is Noah Brewster? So Noah Brewster is the guy that is the musical guest and he is the SNL host that Sally, you know, ends up falling in love with. Right. And I think, and most people that I've heard back from also think that he is supposed to be a nicer version <laughs> or a more misunderstood version of John Mayer. Now I have a couple reasons for thinking this. So the first reason is that the character of Noah Brewster has been around for a while. His first hit had come out 15 years before, and it was called Making Love in July. Now, I remember when John Mayer's first album was released. I was in college, so, I mean, early 2000s. And, of course, his first hit was Your Body is a Wonderland. And it has a very similar feel to the way that she describes Noah Brewster's first song. 
And then, you know, Noah and John Mayer, the other similarity to me is that, you know, John Mayer has been portrayed as, you know, we all kind of have been mad at him about how he did Taylor Swift. But he's the guy that for a long time, he was kind of the Pete Davidson of the music world and that he dated everybody. He dated Jennifer Aniston. He dated uh, Jessica Simpson. He dated, I mean, just all kinds of people. And of course, Taylor Swift, most famously. Um, And he got kind of a reputation as being this bad boy who only dates, you know, actresses, and then he's not serious. And so this is what Sally thinks of Noah Brewster before she gets to know him. And, you know, of course, she is wrong. That's not who he is. He has been misunderstood. So I felt like maybe this was a a nicer version of John Mayer. Now, I don't know John Mayer. He may be nicer, but I mean, he can be, (laughs) I think past John Mayer had some issues. I think he's tried to clean up a bit, but I do think that this is sort of who this character was based on. And then of course, I think the very last character that is based on a real person is Nigel Peterson, who I think is very clearly supposed to be patterned after Lorne Michaels. And so yeah, it was just really fun to read this book and think, oh, that's so-and-so, or that could be so-and-so. And it kind of got a picture in my mind, although I admit I did not picture John Mayer as Noah Brewster. Um, I feel like I pictured someone maybe a little bit more uh, conventionally dashing and good-looking, more of like a Harry Styles-ish kind of person is kind of what I was thinking in my head. Um, and so one other thing I want to ask you guys, if you're listening to this, cause I really do think this will become a movie. I would be so surprised if it doesn't, um, cause it reads like a movie. That's one of the most enjoyable things about the book. Who do you think would play these characters in a movie if you were casting it? And I thought about Harry Styles being a probably good choice. I don't know who Sally would be, but let me know what you think about that. thing I want to talk about is the Danny Horst rule. Is the Danny Horst rule a real thing? Does this happen in real life? Is it a double standard that we see happen more than we would like? And I think the answer is absolutely yes. I think this is a real thing that does happen. So the Danny Horst rule is a sketch that Sally creates after her friend and a writer on the show, Danny Horst, starts dating a really famous celebrity. And she has actually seen it happen a couple of times. And in fact, I'm going to read a passage from the book because I think it just describes why she's upset and what the Danny Horst rule is. Okay, so this is what she says. The year before, at a wedding I'd attended, an icy blonde Oscar-winning British actress named Imogen Wagner had married a cast member named Josh Beekman, best known for his recurring character, Backney Guy. And the year before that, the head writer, Elliot Markovitz, 5'8", 40, and my top cider-wearing boss, had married a multi-platinum album-selling pop singer named Nicola Dornan, 5'10", 30, and a special envoy for the UN. And this, of course, was the essence of my fury, that such couples would never exist with the gender switched, that a gorgeous male celebrity would never fall in love with an ordinary, dorky, unkempt woman. Never. No matter how clever she was. And this is really what the whole, I think, crux of the plot spins upon, right? That Sally could not believe that a guy like Noah Brewster, who is, you know, really good looking and known for being really good looking and slick and has has seemingly all the things that are desirable in a celebrity or a guy would want to date someone who is very normal like her. And she kind of considers herself dorky and, you know, unkempt, all the things she just said. 
she just can't believe that would happen. And I get that because that is so true of the way that culture presents celebrities and women in general. Um, We are just told that we have to be perfect in order for anybody that is also very attractive to notice us or want to date us. And I think that even in romantic comedies, like you see this happening, like we have like Seth Rogen. I'm trying to think of just like normal looking guys, Seth Rogen, Jonah Hill, like Bill Hader, those type of guys, you know, they're cast in these movies and they will get the beautiful woman because as women, we can see why girls would fall for Seth Rogen or Jonah Hill or Bill Hader because they're funny and they're they're witty and they're charming and they're self-deprecating. But you never see it flipped. Like I can't really think of a movie right now where it's a very normal looking girl who gets the really good looking guy because it's like Hollywood is offended that to, to even suggest that a really good looking guy would want to be with a normal looking woman, that he would ever even find her attractive. And of course, this is not always true. And this is what the book is about that, like, Sally expects it to be true because we've been conditioned to believe that it's true that attractive men do not find women who view themselves as unattractive as worthy. And that's the whole problem with Sally is that she has bad self-esteem. Like she doesn't see herself the way that Noah sees her. And so it, you know, it's not a rule that's true for all men, but it's like Hollywood wants us to think that men don't have it in them or don't have the capacity to be insightful the way that women are. And that's, you know, it's not true. So yeah, and the majority of you that wrote back said, in fact, all of you, I don't think anybody said that they didn't believe this was a true thing. It is a true thing. But it's it's a sad thing. It's that it's not necessarily always true, but it's something that women, again, are conditioned to believe is true. So the very frank depictions of sex um, – did catch me off guard a little bit. Um, however, I'm not really offended by it. Um, it was kind of refreshing in a way because I just feel like movies and books um, depict sex and lovey-dovey scenes um, just more in just a very romanticized way and not in a very realistic way. Um, and so that can be a disservice to people because you'll put an expectation on sex or on other relationships that's just not real. Um, so it didn't really bother me. Um, I liked it. Now it may bother some other people because it did get a little more descriptive than I usually like, but it wasn't too bad. That was my friend, Andrea. Thank you so much for submitting that voice note. And that's the next thing I want to talk about. So this book has some very frank depictions of sex. And I was a little, like Andrea said, startled <laughs> when I first started reading them because I was like, whoa, okay, we're going to go there. But I-, I will say that I found the way that sex was depicted to be refreshing in some ways because I feel like it was very realistic and it wasn't glamorized. This is the way it is, right? And 
like Andrea said, you know, we romanticize sex so much in movies and in other books that I've read where, you know, it's it's always this amazing, wonderful thing. Well, sometimes it's it's not always amazing or wonderful. Sometimes it's more about the connection or it's, you know, it's it's not always so glamorous. And I I appreciated that. The other thing that I felt besides just the sex, there was a lot of frank talk about the way our bodies work and things that we don't normally read about in books, but that are very human. Um, I'm thinking in particular of, you know, when Sally has driven all this way to see Noah and when she arrives at his house, she really has to go to the bathroom, right? But she has to go number two and she can't figure out when to do it. And so there's a whole scene where she tries to find a bathroom far away. And then after she is able to take care of that, she like feels immediately better. And isn't that the kind of thing that is absolutely true? When you have driven a long way and you're nervous, those are the things that you think about when you arrive at somebody's house that you like. You're like, I really, the first thing I don't want to do is, you know, smell up somebody's bathroom. And so I felt like that kind of stuff made me laugh because I was like, this is exactly what goes through your mind when you are in those situations. So I did appreciate that. Um, again, it, it is a much more adult book. And Andrea also told me that she felt like the bad language is actually, was actually, for her, more offensive than the sex scenes. And I get that too, because there is a lot of bad language in the book. I sometimes tend to gloss over <laughs> bad language, um, unless it's just really terrible. Um, but sometimes when you read through it again, you're like, whoa, there is a lot. There are a lot of expletives. Um, and when I say gloss over bad language, especially in books, sometimes I don't notice it as much. It's that same feeling that you get when you've talked about your church for a long time and you invite someone to come with you. And then when they come to with you to church, you begin to see everything through their eyes. It's the way I feel when I have recommended a book. And when I read it, I was like, oh, it's great. But then I begin to read it through someone else's eyes. And I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of bad language or there's a lot of sex scenes in this. You should begin to notice those things. So this is not a book for the faint hearted. This is not a book that you would want to maybe talk about. It, with your Sunday school class. <laughs> but again, I think it is probably very, it's just realistic. It's it's the way that life works. And that aspect of it, I did appreciate. So do we think the love story between Sally and Noah is true to life? Could this happen? Is it realistic? Everybody that responded to this question said yes, that they thought that the love story was very believable. And in fact, I think this is probably the greatest strength of this story in the writing. It made me feel so much like the beginnings of when you're first starting to like someone, that butterfly feeling is done so well. And the misunderstandings, I really did appreciate how, you know, it started in uh, 2019 and they have that misunderstanding and then they don't connect for over a year. Um, cause you know, she thinks she messed it up and she did mess it up because she said something stupid. And how many times have we all done that and realized that we just said the one thing that made that person see us differently. And she knows she did it when she did it and didn't know how to get out of it. And the whole email, I think it really, to me began to feel like a real story when they stepped away from the night owls portion of the story, you know, how they first met and got into their emailing each other, because that felt very true to life. I can remember in college, especially, do you, be, do you remember um, 
AOL Instant Messenger. <laughs> I do. I remember having long, drawn-out discussions with the guy that I really liked, like, until, like, you know, two in the morning. And, like, you would write something, and you'd see them log on, and you're like, oh, you know, wanting to see what they said. And getting to know each other in that way. So I felt like those email sections were so real. I felt like you could feel them beginning to like each other, especially when they're like, can I call you now? And like this, the nervousness about that first phone call, that first FaceTime. So I thought that that was really well done. I also felt like the arguments that they had and the disagreements and you know, her not being able to trust that he really could feel this way about her. I think in any other, in someone else's hands, that wasn't as skilled as Curtis Sittenfeld is, you know, in her writing. This could have been a mess because sometimes I think it's a very fine line between the character having legitimate feelings and then you getting frustrated with the character's inability to just get it. But I never felt that way about Sally. Like, I got why she felt the way she felt. I understood her hesitancy. I understood that, you know, especially when they're out, you know, when they're hiking and the paparazzi come upon them and comes upon them and, you know, he lets go of her hand and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, she sees it this way when he was not trying to be this way. But you get why she is like, oh, I don't know. And I felt like that was done especially well. And I also liked the way that he called her on things. Like he wasn't afraid to tell her when she was being wrong, when he felt like she was making him angry. And they were able to have actual discussions and disagreements. And I felt like that also was very true to what really being with another person is like. And it's not always just like, you know, racing to the airport to meet them because you don't want them to get on the plane before you tell them that you love them, which is the end. It's where all of those movies end, those romantic comedies. They get together and it's over, right? This really delved into a lot of nuanced storytelling about what happens after, you know? So I really liked that. Does it have a happy ending? Yes. I was so, I'm so happy that it ended well, but earned that ending. Like you felt like it earned the ending, right? So yeah, I felt like their love story and all of you seem to agree too that the love story was realistic. So we've talked about all of the things that we really like about the book, but there was one thing that everybody that wrote in seemed to agree was a weak point for them. And that was the way that the pandemic and the political messages were thrown into the book. Now, I agree that the pandemic part was kind of a necessary vehicle, for, especially when there is a clear timestamp. So it starts in 2019 and then it goes all the way, to, I think, to 20, you know, to the end of the pandemic, right? So to not mention COVID, <laughs> would be like, you'd be reading the book and be like, wait a minute. So it was necessary. And I also think it was a necessary vehicle to show Sally how caring Noah was when he does end up going to help her take care of her stepfather. That was a big deal moment for her to realize that he loved her and, you know, he cared about her and her family and was willing to help her do things that she didn't think he would want to do. So that was, that's a huge moment. But I felt like some of the way, especially it was in the emails, it didn't feel 
Like, that's not how you would talk to people. <laughs> yes, I did attend that rally. Yes, I did vote this way. Yes, I, I just don't feel like that's kind of the thing that you would talk about. Now, that might be something you would talk about face-to-face or on the phone. I don't know. It felt a little too formal to me, and it also felt kind of like Curtis Sittenfeld was like, I have to put this in here to let you know that this is how I feel. And, you know, we're not going to – I'm not going to talk about, you know, politics, left, right, whatever. That doesn't play into it. It's just it felt out of place. It didn't come across as organically, I feel like, as the rest of the book did. And so the majority of you that wrote in said that you felt the same way about that. So – but, you know, if there's only one thing that we really all were like, eh, that's pretty good. And then the last thing that we'll talk about before we get to our new book club pick is would you read another book by Curtis Sittenfeld? So this was the first Curtis Sittenfeld book I've ever read. And like I said, I really enjoyed it. I think she's a really good writer. She writes in a way, and I said this earlier, that feels like you're watching a movie. Like you can really see the scenes in your mind, the descriptions. It feels like you're there. And so it's very entertaining. And I really enjoyed that. Um, And she's actually written several novels. So she has Prep, American Wife, Eligible, Rodham. um, And then there's a short story collection called You Think It, I'll Say It. Um, So I'm, I'll say yes. Like I am interested in reading some more of her stuff. I probably would go to either Eligible or Prep um, because I've heard really good things about both of those. So I will check out some more of her writing because I thought this was super enjoyable. And um, I'm curious to see what her other books would be about. So yeah, I liked her. Okay. The time has come. Our next book club pick is A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline Lingle. I love this book so much. I read this book when I was, I think, in sixth grade. And it is a story about a girl named Meg Murray who is very smart, but she kind of considers herself to be a bit of a a nerd. And she doesn't really fit in in school. She comes from a family of brilliant people. Her Both of her parents are scientists. She has a younger brother named Charles Wallace, who is a bona fide genius. He's kind of a prodigy. And then she has two twin brothers who are great at everything. And she just kind of feels like she is the odd person out. And at the beginning of the story, her father is missing. And I'm not going to give too much away because I think if you've never read this book, it's so much fun to go into it not knowing what's about to happen. But what I love about this choice is that I think it's a book that if you read it and you are younger, you're going to love the story. And if you read it as an adult, you still love the story, but you pick up on things that you didn't pick up on as a kid. It's very similar to, to me to the way that I felt about the Chronicles of Narnia books. When I read them when I was younger, I just really appreciated the story. And when I read them as an adult, I saw that there was more to the story than just the story. And I would just love it if parents and kids could read this together. I think you will have a lot of great discussions. And I'm excited about the episode that we'll do when we talk about A Wrinkle in Time. And we'll have a cutoff date for this one. And so I'm going to give everybody until November 1st to read this book. So almost a month and a half. Um, Today is September 9th, the day that I'm releasing this episode. So from September 9th to November 1st, that will be our cutoff time. So if you would like to be part of the book club and you had not signed up and um, you are interested, 
please just send me a message on Instagram or send me an email or a Facebook message and I will put you on our list. All right, guys, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for hanging out with me and talking to me and sending me your feedback about our first book club pick. Um, Thank you for reading it with me. It was so much fun to have a community of readers. It's my dream come true. (laughs) Thank you again for following and subscribing. If you would like to find me on Instagram, it is super easy. I am at Resting Church Face. I hope you have a fantastic week and I'll see you on Tuesday.